Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. As we continue to face COVID-19, we're now facing flu season. Influenza has the potential to infect millions, putting lives and the healthcare system at risk. Now more than ever, it's essential to protect yourself from influenza by getting the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine is safe and effective and can't give you the flu. To protect yourself and those at highest risk, get your flu vaccine. Learn more at michigan.gov flu. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Want your business to have the best opportunity for success? Take a tip from tech industry leader Intel when you move or expand in Ohio. The new Silicon Heartland is the place forward-thinking business leaders find ample talent, a highly ranked business climate, convenient central location, plus an especially low-risk environment for site selection. Where else can you have all the room you need to grow while rubbing elbows with the giants in your industry? Visit successinohio.com today. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 91 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by MistressCarrie.com. If you're looking for a place to keep track of all of the shows coming to New England, the events calendar at MistressCarrie.com is where you need to be. Also on the website, you can check out my blog, photo galleries, every episode of my video streaming show, Cocktails in the War Room, and you can also find all 91 episodes of the Mistress Carrie podcast, the bonus episodes, and the sit rep, which gives you all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes every weekday. And while you're on the website, you can check out the official Mistress Carrie online store that's filled with everything from t-shirts and hoodies to beanies and even baby onesies. You'll also find all of my links to find all of my social media accounts, including the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass on Patreon. The Backstage Pass gives you extra access to me and everything that's going on. You get exclusive travel blogs, photos, discount coupons for the online store, and every month we do an exclusive live stream. You can even submit questions for podcast guests. And I want to say hello to Monica, John, Brett, Atwood, Ashley, Tracy, Christine, and Jenna. And thanks for having a Backstage Pass. You rock. So if you're looking for all things Mistress Carrie, just head to MistressCarrie.com. Everyone that I talk to on the podcast has had a different experience during COVID. And I don't think anyone has had a better pandemic than Mariah Formica from Plush. Slash told me in episode 88 that he started doing jigsaw puzzles and playing with Legos. Jonathan Davis on episode 87 said that he started gardening. What did Mariah do? She got connected with three other girls, formed a band, got a record deal, worked with famous rock producer Johnny Kay, released an album, went on tour with Hailstorm and Evanescence, and now is on tour with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Seriously, best pandemic ever. Plush is a new rock band that every time I turn around, people are talking about, and they've got ties to Boston and New England. So I had a chance to sit down with Mariah and hear about the band, how they got together, how they write songs together, what it was like to tour with Hailstorm and Evanescence, where she got her first guitar, the music that is the soundtrack of her childhood, and so much more. Plush is going to be opening up for Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators coming up on March 7th. The show's at the House of Blues in Boston, and there may still be a few tickets available. The link is in the show notes of this podcast. So allow me to introduce you to Mariah from Plush. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, 
Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed. You're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Mariah, it is nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I feel like Plush is a band that I didn't hear of and then I couldn't stop hearing about almost overnight. (laughs) Wow. How is... How has this whole thing been for you? It's honestly been crazy. Like, I, I, I mean, like you said, like everything happened so fast and, um, I just didn't expect it really. And I didn't, uh, like, I, I don't even know how to put it into words clearly. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just been, it's honest, it's honestly been so crazy and so satisfying and so fulfilling and just and and super humbling too um so it's all just been crazy the band released their self-titled debut just in the fall of 2021 and now in like a few weeks um you're getting ready to come to town with slash like yeah what (laughs) i know i it was, it's one of those things where it's not going to hit me, I feel like, until we're there. Until we're there. And then it's like, oh my gosh. I, uh, sorry, my cat's coming in. You know what? <laughs> but, that um, just happened when I interviewed Jelly Roll. That his cat, like, really? It, the cat jumped up on the deck, le- desk, yep. like walked across the screen. <laughs> yep. She's a, she's definitely an attention. She wants attention. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just been, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not going to hit me until I'm there. And it's just completely surreal. I mean, Slash, I grew up watching him on TV, you know, like playing in his music videos. My dad always had like 80s pop-up videos going on and, you know, I'd always see Slash. There was no way I thought in a million years we'd be playing with him. You have beautiful curly hair. You could go as Slash for a Halloween costume, like, so easily. <laughs> I've thought about it, honestly. I, people, that, oh my gosh, people, like, when I was growing up, they were like, you should be Slash. You, they're like, you play guitar and you have curly hair. You should do it. I might one of these years. <laughs> the band for Halloween could dress up as Guns N' Roses. You could pull it off easy. Oh my gosh, that's actually such a good idea. Yes! All right, that take We gotta idea. do it now. You gotta do it. It would be so good. <laughs> yes, plush and roses. <laughs> yes! Oh my God, if you don't do this, I am gonna be so bummed out. You totally have to do it. We have to now. Bella would probably have to be Axel, though, the guitar player, because you get to be Slash. <laughs> Speaking of, of Bella, there's a there's a tie to Boston. So um, anytime that there's any kind of tie to the city at all, we claim you as our own. Like Miles Kennedy, born in Boston, he's a Boston band. Uh, Diamante, born here, even though she grew up in LA when she moved. Nope. She's a Boston band. Bella went to Berkeley. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But, um, yeah, so Bella went to Berkeley and, uh, my brother actually lives in Boston. So I guess we're a Boston band. (laughs) You're a Boston band. Welcome. So it'll be a hometown show for you at the house of blues with slash. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's super I'm super excited. We haven't played the House of Blues in Boston yet. Um, so I'm super, super excited to do that. Plus, I just love Boston. It's one of the very few cities that I that I really, really enjoy. So happy to be back there. Well, we're rabid rock fans here. And when you're good, we claim you and then we love you forever. And so if you 
get fans here, then you just are always going to be able to come here and we're always going to want to come and see you play. So that's awesome. It's a good I, I love to hear that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love to hear that. Well, for a lot of people, Plush is a brand new band and it's possible they could be hearing about you for the first time. So I want to go back and kind of tell the story of how the band came to be. So where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? Uh, I'm from upstate New York and, um, and I grew up in upstate New York. (laughs) So you're, Um, so being East coast, you kind of get the people in Boston, like East coast people, especially Northeast people, we're a certain kind of breed. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Especially on the road. No, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I grew up in upstate New York um, and um, Brooke and Ashley are also from New York, not upstate though. Um, and then Belle is from Maine and um, I believe they all grew up there too as well. And the way that we met was I, I was doing like a solo thing for a while, um, which was, which was good. It was fun. And there was a lot that came from it. Um, but I just wasn't 100% happy with what I was doing and something just felt incomplete in me. And, um, while I was brainstorming what that was, the pandemic hit and, um, Right around that same time, since I was on social media all the time, since, you know, what else are you going to do during the pandemic? Yeah. (laughs) Right. So um, I came across Brooke and her videos and I was like, this girl is like, first of all, she's 16. She's amazing. I can't believe this. And um, I found out that she lived in the same state and I was like, shut up. Like, we have to do something about this. And so... Um, our dad got in contact through a mutual venue that we played and we met and we just jammed and the chemistry just clicked, you know, it was, it was just instant, you know, as friends and musicians, it was just, it was perfect. And so we decided like, yeah, let's try this. Let's give it a real go. Let's try to be a band. And then Brooke introduced me to Ashley. She's like, you know, I have a friend who I did. I think they did um, the, they did the school of rock program together. And so the three of us got together and we jammed, we played a few songs together. And again, the chemistry was just instant and it was awesome. And we really felt like we had something special. And um, then, so once that was a thing, uh, management hopped on board and they put out like a PSA for uh, a guitar player. And Lizzie Hale from Hailstrom actually got a hold of that and ended up tweeting it or, or regramming it or something. And our, guitar player Bella Baron saw that um, from Lizzie Hale's page and then reached out to us. And that's how we met Bella. It's such a crazy random story, especially because so many people's lives got completely shut down because of the pandemic and you actually got a band because of it. Yeah. I always, I, it's crazy whenever, um, you know, like in, in various interviews or, or even just conversations is people are like, you know, so like, how has the pandemic affected you? And obviously there are a lot of like, you know, downsides and whatever, but I always, I almost look at it as a blessing in disguise for, for us personally, because it was like, we wouldn't have had this band. I don't think if it were, if it weren't for, you know, sitting around in our houses, having nothing to do and coming across each other. Um, and so, and also the time, you know, the, the time where, like you said, kind of everything just shut down and stopped moving. So it really gave us the time to develop ourselves as a band and start practicing and, you know, kind of figure out a game plan as to what we wanted to do when the pandemic, you know, when, when things loosened up a little bit and how to hit the ground running. I have a theory about people that love music that they get gifted music when they're young by their parents, their cool uncles, their older brothers and sisters. And that's the music that they get exposed to and like the soundtrack of their childhood. And then there's an artist or a song or an album that comes out 
And that's your first step into defining who you are through your music. So what's the soundtrack of your childhood? What music did you get gifted? And then what's the first artist or song that you go, okay, now this is mine. Oh, I love that question. Um, I, so the soundtrack of my childhood would be, um, definitely, uh, 80s classics and 80s hair metal would be my, uh, soundtrack. My dad always had that stuff playing. Um, it was just always there. I mean, it literally actually was kind of like a soundtrack in my life because it was just always there. Um, in the car, you know, my parents both love music. And so in the car, there would always be music on. My dad always had poison CDs, Skid Row, you know, um, Bon Jovi. Um, and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, like winger, my dad loved, he loved all the bands. Um, and so, you know, he'd always have like 80s pop videos going on in the morning or that metal show with Eddie Trunk. So that was definitely the the soundtrack of my childhood. Um, what I would say is the the defining artist that kind of really opened my eyes up and made me realize, hey, I want to actually give this a go and, and do this. Uh, it was Aerosmith for me, actually. And I was at, I was about, Another Boston band, right? Yeah. Um, See, and- so you can tell everybody you're a Boston band just like Aerosmith. <laughs> so um, I, I was probably around five or six and I wanted my first guitar because I saw, you know, I, I listened to Aerosmith. I fell in love with them. I loved the way Joe Perry played guitar. And I just thought they were, they were so cool. Like there was just something about them that I was like, hell yeah. You know, a <laughs> little six-year-old me was like, yes. So I picked up, um, you know, I, I got my first guitar for my birthday and it was like a $20 Target guitar with like one of those built-in amps. And I took that thing everywhere and I would actually lock myself in my room and I would put um, Aerosmith CDs in my PlayStation 2 and let them play. And then I would just sit there with my guitar and noodle and like figure out like, okay, how do I do this? And I would, I had to learn a piece of something before I would let myself out of my room every single day. So Aerosmith was definitely that band for me. What was the first thing that you played on your Target guitar that you played right where you went, oh my God, I think I got it. Oh my gosh. Hmm. I think it was, honestly, I think it was, um, Back in Black by ACDC. (laughs) 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 It's like three chords. So I was like, yeah, (laughs) I was like, I can do this. When you were growing up, were there musicians around or just music lovers? Where's the musical ability come from? Um, It was really just music lovers. I didn't really have any. I, I don't come from a family of musicians or anything. Um, you know, my, my grandmother actually plays, you know, she played piano and she's really good at it. Um, but I guess other than that, that's pretty much it. Um, neither of my parents are musicians in any way. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't really know. It's, I think it's one of those things where like it skips generations. I'm sure there has to be, like a great, great, great uncle who was this big music or who was a, a great musician or whatever. But I'm not sure. <laughs> as, Wait, as far as I know, it's just surrounded by music lovers. Did you take lessons growing up? Are you the kind of person that has to take lessons and learn? Or or can you just are you one of those annoying people that can just pick up anything and play it? Um I I didn't uh take lessons when I um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't take guitar lessons at all. I just felt, I just felt so comfortable with it. I, I went to like two lessons and it was like two sessions. And I was like, I can't do this. This is so slow. Like, I just want to learn how to get to know the instrument myself. Like I, I was, I was very hands-on with it and I just wanted to approach it 
by myself because it was honestly it was funner that way for me because I I felt like the feeling was so much more satisfying when you figured it out yourself um but that's just how I am like if I I don't know I just didn't want to do lessons I just felt more comfortable being by myself as a little kid and you know just getting to learn my instrument you know who um, told me the, the same story the same exact thing that they took two lessons and and hated it and just wanted to Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots told me the exact oh, really? same story that he wow. that he went to like two lessons and it was too slow for him and it just he wasn't he he wasn't learning the way he wanted to learn so he quit and he just did it on his own that's awesome oh my gosh and and good on I mean, you it, for it, being it, able to figure it out because <laughs> that's an innate ability that not everyone has. There's there's something in you that just goes, oh, okay, I think I can figure this out and play it. Make sense of it. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I'm very grateful for that. It's, it is so weird how everybody has their own, you know, it's, it's super cool how everybody has their own thing and their own abilities and, and their own, like you said, just like innate gifts that, are just there seemingly. Um, well, you're like a self-taught I, person, right? But then because you sing and play guitar at the same time, but your guitar player, Bella, like she's got to be this crazy theory guitar player because she went to Berkeley and that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Bella's very, very, she's, she's very, very technical. She's very, you know, she, she, she is a very theory oriented person. I think, um, I mean, she, but also I feel like sometimes she's also can just go off the handle and is like, I'm just going to do my own thing. But yeah. So Bella is super technical um, compared to, to me where I just kind of do what I, what feels right or whatever. <laughs> Before you got your $20 target guitar, did you know you could sing? What came first, the guitar playing or the singing? The guitar playing came first, actually. I, I started playing guitar around five or six and I didn't actually start singing until I was like nine or 10. Um, I, and I did do, I did take singing lessons because I wanted to learn how to use my voice, you know, the proper way. Um, Cause I knew I had a voice. I just didn't know exactly how to project it, you know? Um, but the guitar came first and singing came a little bit later as I, became more comfortable with using my voice and stuff. Cause I was a very shy kid. I hardly really talked to anyone, let alone sang, <laughs> you know? So for a shy person, you picked like the absolute wrong profession. Oh, I know. It's so weird. I, I'm always like, people are always like, are you sure you're an introvert? Because like, you kind of have the wrong career. And I'm like, you know, yeah, it's, it's so funny because if it weren't for, what I do, I would totally be like, I don't know if I would know how to interact <laughs> with humans as well. Like I am such an introvert to the core, but See, you know, now I'm, I'm the exact I'm very... opposite. I'm a total extrovert, but I have zero <laughs> musical ability. So I just talk for a living to, I'll talk to anyone. I'll talk to the wall. If no <laughs> one wants to listen to me, I'll just talk to the wall. And I love that. I love that. I wish I had a little bit more of <laughs> when you were growing up watching pop-up videos with your dad and kind of listen to all of this amazing kind of 80s hair metal your your entire band is under the age of 21 and you're all women and you're growing up in a world that is changing when it comes to the role of women, but you're growing up listening to music like eighties music was not the, the list of examples of successful female artists from the eighties is pretty short because that era yeah. was all about, you know, girls being, you know, the hot girls in the Motley Crue video. And, and right, then there's, right. you know, then there's the obvious examples of like Lita Ford or Joan Jett or, you know, Hart or whatever that obviously had success back then, Vixen. But yeah, I really want to know your perspective because you're a young generation of female artists that's that's growing up in a time where Lizzie Hale helps you find your guitar player 
And so what did it mean to have those generations of female artists come before you to help kind of show you, no, 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 it's possible? Yeah, I honestly, I always looked at it from a perspective of, um, you know, they they really paved the way for for artists like Plush and and, you know, other female artists in rock. And um, I've always had tremendous respect for every single female rocker out there but who, who came before us, because like I said, they paved the way and I, you know, they certainly had to, you know, deal with things that were, you know, more like harsh treatment and more objectifying and more, you know, to a greater extent and a greater intensity than, than we do, you know? Um, and I believe it because they came before us, we were able to make progress with things like that. So bands like us, you know, are able to do what we love comfortably, you know? <clears throat> so when I think about women in, in rock, particularly, that's what, that's what always comes to my mind. I can imagine as a parent, there are a few things that your kid comes to you and says, this is what I want to do for a living. That would make you excited, right? Doctor, lawyer, engineer, astronaut, whatever. I would imagine rock singer as being something that would scare the shit out of your parents. So when you finally get to this point and you're like, wait, we're putting this band together. Like, I don't think I want to be a lawyer, mom and dad. Like, this is my path. How did that go over? Honestly... I, I I would not be where I am without my parents. My parents from day one, like it, it was not even any sort of, I mean, I had guidance counselors, you know, in school telling me that my dream wasn't realistic before my parents ever would. You know, my parents never, ever um, gave any sort of hint that it wasn't realistic or that, you know, you got, it wasn't, it, you got to do something that's more of a nine to five or you got to be a lawyer or a doc. Like they, they, they were overjoyed that I found something that I was so passionate about and that I found something that was an outlet for me and, you know, and that I enjoy and, and that I was good at as a kid. And so they really, really have just poured everything that they have into making my dreams come true from the time I was 10 years old, you know, constantly driving me to certain, driving me to gigs, you know, taking me to open mic nights at 11 years old, all sorts of stuff, buying me guitars, like just, just things that, that they didn't have to do, but they're my parents and they want to see their kids succeed and be happy. And so my parents were always, always those types of parents. You better thank them if you ever win a Grammy. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh yes no i i owe everything to them my parents are my number one supporters and they always will be and they always have been <clears throat> i am fascinated by people that have musical ability and more importantly the ability to write songs because it's just it's not something that that i can do i've tried it's just i i know a good song when i hear it and obviously doing what i do i'm surrounded by musicians all the time but when it comes to plush how does the songwriting work? Where who brings the original idea in? Is it riff based? Is it lyric based? Melody based? How does it start? A lot of the riffs, uh, a lot of it's riff based. Um, I I'm personally a very riffy writer. Like I just I'll have a riff in my head and I just run with it and I'm like, you know. But then there's there's certain times where a lyric will pop up in my head or a line or or an idea or something. Um, and I just have to start working on a song. Um, and, or, or, you know, if I just have an overwhelming feeling of whatever that I need an outlet for, um, I'll, I'll usually start writing a song. Um, but, you know, usually I, I'll take the, I've taken the, I, the ideas to the girls and then everybody kind of puts their own 
you know, flavor in it, if you will, and, and spice it up and put everybody's flair on it. And then we, you know, and a lot of it happens in the studio too, when we actually are going to record stuff, a lot, a lot of new parts and maybe new lines pop up in the studio too. You talk about working in the studio and as a new band whose debut album just came out, when you find out that you get to work with Johnny K, who has got this resume, I mean, he's worked with Disturbed, he's worked with Stained, he's worked with Three Doors Down, just a slight resume of success in the rock world. <laughs> was he a producer that you guys sought out or was it an opportunity that you guys were asked about where you were like, yeah, 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 we want to work with him? How did that happen? So our, um, ma- our managers actually... Uh, we're tight are tight with Johnny K and they they suggested him and they were like hey you know we think you know he's as you just said they were like listen he's worked with this person that person this band that band you know he's a great producer and you know he wants to work with you guys he heard your stuff and we were just like overjoyed we were like yeah like we didn't have to think about it you know and it was amazing working with him he taught me so much, you know, about guitars, about, about, um, how to really deliver, you know, in the studio vocally and have it not be so much really about like singing rather than delivering and getting the attitude in there, you know? Um, and he just has a gift for structuring songs. I mean, he's just, he really, his visions are just so great and they totally aligned with, with our vision for, the, for what we wanted to. A lot of people don't understand the, the important role that a producer has when it comes to crafting songs and recording. So can you give me an example of one of the songs off the record and kind of talk me through the process of working with him in the studio and kind of what his outside influence kind of did to bring the song to where it is on the album. Yeah, actually I can think of um, our song Athena in particular. So I had Athena just start out, started out as um, a riff. It was just, I, it, it was just a riff that I had wrote, you know, it was the da 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 da. And so um, we, you know, he's like, I really like that riff, you know, like try to work on that. So we, so I wrote a riff and I, I wrote a chorus for it and, but I didn't have a verse. I just had a chorus and we got in the studio and, um, we went to go record the, the vocals and we had to, you know, rework the song a little bit. And Johnny was straight up. He's like, look, this chorus that you have right now is bad. It's not good. It's not, it's not good. Don't sugarcoat it at all, Johnny. Just let me know how you feel. He's like, and, but, but that is what I, he's like, it's bad. And like, it, that wasn't what he said at first, but I was just really, really like fighting for this chorus. And, it, and after trying to tell me in a certain way, he just did and so, you know, obviously nobody likes to hear that, but I really, really, that's something that I really love about Johnny is, you know, that you can trust him. He's not, you know, that whatever he says, it's for the betterment of the song. So, you know, I love that about Johnny. And, and so we sat there and we, you know, we rewrote an entire chorus you know and and a verse um all because johnny was like look this chorus it's not strong it's not it and you know before we knew it he's just rattling off all these ideas and well why don't you put this here and why don't you just take this and then put it in the verse and why don't you do this and i'm like well, yeah, shit. Why didn't I do that? <laughs> you know, so, so it really is a very unique, you know, thing that that producers can do. They just have a a vision for how things should be structured and and what you know what 
comprises a hit, you know? And it's just, it was so interesting for me to watch him go through that process and be like, well, you should take this and move that there and do this here. And let's have another thing here. And like, it, it's just, and it really, really does make the song better, you know, so much better than, than what was originally there. Well, you talk about so being very, able very to important. trust him because it's, it's about yeah. what's best for the song. Part of the, the thing that I talk about on the show all the time is I, I can't imagine being able to write a song, right? And, and like, say you were really attached to that chorus and he tells you it's bad. I would have gotten so mad that I wouldn't have been able to kind of put that aside. Like, I would be hurt, that that I made this thing that this guy just said is bad. Like, I don't know how I would get over that. I know it's look, it it's like I said, it's not it's not fun to hear. But and, and there were a few times like um, walk away, for example, um, from our from our record. That's the song walk away. I was really like married to what I had initially. And there was like a, initially like another part that went, there was like a little pre-chorus thing that went into the chorus and it eventually ended up getting cut. And, you know, Johnny's just like, I don't think that that's, that that part is necessary. Like, it's just not it. at this point. It's the, the first verse is dragging. Like it, it's too long. You got to cut this part. And I was like, so married to that part. And I was just like, I sat, I really, I sat there for a long time, like, just being like, Oh, I don't know. Like, but, and I was, I was mad, you know, and, and he could see it all over my face. But when you, when I was able to get past those feelings, you know, I realized, you know what? It's okay. You don't know everything. Johnny is a veteran in this industry. He knows what a good song is. He knows what a hit is, you know, trust him. And, and so I did. And, you know, like, it it really ended up for the betterment of the song. I mean, honestly. When when you think about the the craft of songwriting, because it's something that obviously you're still learning, even and you're doing it on the job, right? That you're that you're crafting songs with a veteran producer like Johnny Kay, but obviously with the band. Can you give me an example or two of of a song? I don't care the genre, the artist, like that's inconsequential to me, but that you just think is perfect songwriting from the craft of songwriting and tell me why. Like, what's the perfect song to you? Hmm, that's so hard. Um, a song that's really, really been... Um, sticking with me lately is seven by taylor swift and it's just like i listen to her songwriting and i'm like i don't understand how she does like it's it's the reason that it's this song is because she's from what i gather from the song it's from the perspective kind of of like a little seven-year-old kid you know and it's and it's talking about you know just remembering the 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 purity of your thoughts and, and your feelings and the innocence of being a kid. And, you know, um, there's a part in the song where she says, um, you know, and I've been meaning to tell you, I think your house is haunted. Your dad is always mad. And that must be why I think you should come live with me and we can be pirates. Then you won't have to cry. Like those lyrics at first I listened, I'm like, Hmm, what does this mean? And, I think I'm pretty sure what it means is like this perspective from this seven-year-old kid who has a dear friend and they love that friend. And they're always going over to their, you know, at the house and they witness the dad who's angry, who's, who's always mad, you know, but he's really abusive and he's angry and she wants so desperately to help her friend. She's like, well, come live with me. You know, we can be pirates. We can have fun, you know, or hide in the closet. And then like the fact that she can write this perspective, like from the perspective of a seven-year-old child and have the, the listener know 
what she means is incredible to me. I, I thought that that was like, I listened to that and I'm like, that is such an interesting, different perspective that you really have to be a talented songwriter to be able to put yourself back in those shoes, you know, as a seven-year-old kid. Cause I couldn't write from my, I couldn't write from my seven-year-old perspective now, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely is, you know, that 50,000 foot view that you would have to put yourself in to kind of be yeah. able to look at it as an outside observer and, and break it down and figure it out, which is why I'm fascinated by the process of songwriting is I just don't understand how you do it. That one minute you have a bunch of feelings and the next minute you're winning a Grammy and somewhere in between you found a way to write it down, craft it, record it, and have it be something that not only made you happy and kind of funneled those emotions for you, but somehow found a way for the people listening to it to feel like you wrote it for them. Yeah, that's something that I that I honestly, like, I never really thought about it that much, but as, as you know, as like plush came out with, with our album and, and stuff like that, there's more and more people DMing me or coming up to me at shows and, and saying things, you know, like, the, I swear you knew, like you, you wrote this song for me. And I, so I've been thinking a lot about that more lately. And it is just really interesting because I remember when I was, um, like in sixth grade, you know, and I started getting into Evanescence and Corn and bands like that. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, how they're like putting into words and sounds, you know, into music, like what I'm feeling like this, if my heart had a sound right now, that's how it would sound. And I always thought that that was so amazing, but I could never, I didn't really know how to articulate that as a little kid, but um it always means a lot, you know, whenever I hear people say that. You bring up, uh, you know, an artist like Corn or whatever. Jonathan Davis was on the show not too long ago, and we were joking oh, because because I've known him a long time. We kind of came awesome. up together in our careers. <laughs> and since about 99 or so, people have been saying rock is dead. And Jonathan and I were literally just laughing about that concept that back then... I think he went on a Rock is Dead tour. And since then, people have been saying that Rock was dead. You are now part of this new generation of rock. When people come up to me and they say, you know, well, name me a band that's come out in the last year or, you know, the last five years that matters or whatever. You're now coming in as a new generation rock artist. What do you say to people that are like, Rock's, rock's dead. It's there, you know, it's over. Honestly, I, I think that that's, first of all, I think that that's really sad that people look at things that way. Um, just because it doesn't make a crap ton of money anymore, like pop music and, and country and whatever else is, is making all the money right now in America. But just because that, like, that seems very superficial to me. Like it, it doesn't seem because if you really actually do look around and look elsewhere other than mainstream um, radio and and just mainstream in general, rock is sort of everywhere. I mean, people love rock. I mean, you were just saying that that Boston has like rabid rock fans. It's not dead. And from what we've seen as plush so far in the short time that we've been a band, it's certainly not dead. And I'm telling you, like there are our kids that come to our shows and they have this look of like, you know, kids, kids are, are just, I think that little kids are mesmerized by the idea of, of rock and roll. And I love seeing that um, regardless of who's playing, you know, cause there's like a genuineness and a rawness about rock and roll. Um, And so that's why I think that it will never die because I feel like rock is one of the most, and obviously I'm being biased because I'm a rocker, but I feel like rock is one of the most true genres out there, you know? And I think that that's why one of the biggest reasons why rock will never die because it speaks to people truly. It's, it saves lives more than I've seen any other genre save lives. So I don't think rock will ever die. Um, 
And I think rock is an outlet for a lot of people. Rock is totally the genre to be like, listen, I don't give a damn. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go party. I'm going to go spill that beer in the mosh pit. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like whatever you're going to do, it's a time to get together as a one big rock family, you know? And there are so many reasons why rock, I don't think will ever die. And there are so many bands out there that are coming out that are, that are rock as well too. So, I mean, I don't really, if you're talking about it from a huge mainstream point of view, okay. But like, even you look at people like, you know, Machine Gun Kelly and look, if you're not a fan of him, I totally get it. But there are elements of, of rock that are post Malone, her. Post Malone. I mean, I mean, look, it's, you know, you got like Travis Barker on the, on the drums with Machine Gun Kelly and Machine Gun Kelly, he's playing guitar now. Like people, rock is not dead. And there are definitely elements of rock that are coming through in mainstream music now. And it just keeps on getting more and more prominent, I think, and more obvious as the years go on in mainstream music that there are elements of rock, you know, essentially coming back. Well, I was watching the Super Bowl halftime show and to see Eminem and Dr. Dre and Snoop with a full band. Oh, it was amazing. I was like, wait a minute. They they could just play this on a turntable. They don't need to have a bunch of musicians out there, but they chose to. And I thought that was very telling that they brought up a bunch of live musicians to play the music. I thought that was really cool. Totally, totally. And like, you know, you look at people like Lady Gaga, who, who's a total rocker, by the way. Lady Gaga is a total rocker, but you know, even in her, her biggest EDM, you know, eras, she, her live shows were, it was a band. She, she, she plays with a band, you know, and there are a lot of points where I, and I know a lot of people won't know this unless you're like a, a Gaga fan like me, like I love Lady Gaga, but there were a lot of points in her live shows where, you know, the guitar players would, play some heavy riff, you know, like, like in, in the song Judas, I mean, they were tuned down, I think to like drop C and they were playing the riff, the do, 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 do. I'm like, that's rock and roll. I mean, I think that. Rihanna has Nuno Betancourt from Extreme as her guitar player. Really? Yeah. They tw- wow. she, she tours with a full band and Nuno. Yeah, go on YouTube and look up like Rihanna's like live performances. That's Nuno Betancourt playing guitar for Rihanna. See, that's amazing. That's incredible. And and that just goes to show I mean, there are so many reasons I think why rock is is not dead. And I don't think it's ever going to die. I mean, you can't kill off a whole genre of music. I mean, you know. I don't think that being huge in the mainstream eye or making the most amount of money, you know, with mainstream, like, I don't think that that is what determines whether a genre is dead or not. I think well, that it's, that's, it's your definition of success, right? If you want to be a successful right. musician, if, if you play shows and fans show up, that's successful in my eyes. Exactly. It's, it's that simple. It's that simple, you know? Um, it's it's that simple, really. I mean, you kind of just summed it up, really. <laughs> when you when you get embraced, right? When you see somebody like David Draymond from Disturbed tweeting about your band, and and you get welcomed into this island of misfit toys that I like to call it, that that all of us that have no other place to go get together and call this home. What does that feel like to you that that you're being welcomed into this genre, not only as a new band, but also as a band of women? It honestly feels so, I mean, it makes my heart so full, first of all. Like it's, it's almost such a, a full circle moment, kind of, because when I was growing up, I, you know, I just these were all people that I 
that I, you know, would watch their concerts on YouTube or uh, listen to their CDs, you know, and play guitar along to their to their songs and, and their CDs. And to be many, many, many years later, like welcomed into, like you said, like this big island uh, of misfit toys, as you said, is a really amazing full circle moment for me. Um, and it's really it, it makes you feel heard. It makes you feel seen because you are being heard and seen. And it's, it makes you feel like, you know, all of your hard work and, and the years of going to little, to all these, you know, bars and being stuffed in a corner and they're like, okay, there's your stage, you know, play <laughs> your set, you know, um, just stuff like that. It makes, it's, it's, it makes it feel much more worthwhile and it, it, it just shows that all that stuff really pays off. So it's, it's a very, very amazing feeling. There's no way for me to, to say this without a aging myself and, and B, <laughs> you know, sound, I, I don't mean it to be condescending in any way, but to say <laughs> something like I'm proud of you, is something that could totally come across the wrong way, but I want to preface it by saying this. I had a conversation with Amy Lee and with Lizzie when they announced the co-headlining tour. And we talked about rock in the 90s and, and you know, the new metal era. And, and, you know, I've worked in rock radio for 30 years now. And I remember what it was like in those meetings where it was like, well, we have a song by a band that has a girl in it, so we don't need any more. Right. And to have this idea that like when I started in radio, it was like, well, I was the only girl on the entire staff and they had me. So they didn't need another one. They didn't need two girls on the air talking about rock music. They had one. And so I'm talking to Lizzie and Amy about how things have changed just in the time that their bands have been around. And part of it when putting that tour together for them was hoping to inspire the next generation of 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 female bands and just the fact that it could get to the point where it wouldn't even really be a novelty that there's a girl in the band or the band is all women that it they're just a rock band and so i i go back to what i said initially about being proud because all of those years ago women like me hoped that someday the world would get to a point where a band like plush could happen and so for me to get to a point to now be talking to you and to have it be possible and happening and to have you be welcomed into the the industry and for there to be success at radio and for you to be opening up for fucking slash (laughs) it's like oh my god it it actually happened what we all was hoping would happen actually was possible so that's where my pride comes from to see that you guys are able to kind of take this next step not just for women but for rock in general it's awesome right yeah I first of all thank you so much I uh am I can't imagine what it must be like to to you know to just like seen all the progress you know And there were women before me, you know what I'm saying? Like Carol Miller, a legendary female rock DJ from New York. And, and, you know, you look at the women, I mean, you go back to, you know, Joplin and, and, and Hart and Stevie Nicks and Joan Jett and Blondie. I mean, the, the road is paved with greats. The shoulders that all of us women in rock are standing on are granite shoulders, but it's not very often that you get to recognize progress in real time, which is kind of right, where I'm right. getting to at, you know? Right. Definitely. And I, I totally wholeheartedly agree. And I am so grateful, you know, that, that, that the progress has been made, you know, and the, and it and is still being made and that we're able to, you know, go out and do this and, and, do what we love. Because it's not just girls coming to a plus show. There's dudes in the crowd. Right, right. No, definitely. And it's, 
it really is a great feeling to be recognized, you know, as a, as a rock band, you know, um, not, you know, like you said, not necessarily a novelty yeah. um, all the time. And because I feel like that's something about like, about being a woman specifically is you feel like that, that thing where it's like, hmm, am I, are we being recognized for our musicianship or being recognized for our looks? You know what I mean? Like just things like that. Um, or, or are we being recognized just for our gender? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, I agree. The progress that's been made is, is awesome. And that's why I have so much tremendous respect for every single, you know, female and rock who, who paved the way for us. Um, the album's out. You're going to be at the house of blues on March 7th with slash in Boston. What's, what's kind of your, 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 I don't want to say bucket list, but like your goal list, like, like what are the milestones that you've set for yourself in the band next? Like, like what's the next phase of plush now? Oh, that's a good question. One of my, one of the biggest, you know, things that I had set in my mind was doing a show with Evanescence and Hailstorm together. And that, um, that was accomplished, (laughs) which is so weird. (laughs) You know, it's, it's so weird to say that and, and to have that be, but I mean, that was one, that was like one of my biggest things. And so I guess I would say that and but how do you top it now? Like you got to move, you got to move right, the finish right, line exactly. for the band now. Like, what do you do now? You can't just, no. you can't peak. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, I don't know. I think my, my goal for us is to just keep on growing our fan base. And we, I really, really hope to get over to Europe. That's one of my, one of my bucket list things is talk about rabid rock fans. So, I mean, European yeah, rock that's what fans I hear. Are crazy. I, I want to experience a European crowd. I hear it's insane, um, you know, compared to America. So I, I think that would be one of my biggest things on our bucket list. Well, it was so nice to meet you, everybody. You know, you're. It, it seems like every time I turn around, everybody's talking about the band right now. Oh and, man! <laughs> and so it's like. It's a really exciting time for you guys. I can't wait to see you live, which I have not yet done. So I'll be at the Slash show. I can't wait to see the show. And awesome. I'm I'm just, you're playing Rockville too, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, you talk about rabid rock fans. Welcome to Rockville is one of the biggest oh, festivals man. ever. Oh, I'm so, so excited for that one. We played um, Rocklahoma last summer. And that was a really fun festival. So I'm so, so excited to play Welcome to Rockville. Well, it was great to meet you. Congratulations on finding one way to make it through COVID, which is to put a band together, get a record deal, record with Johnny <laughs> K, and go out on the road with Hailstorm and Evanescence. Like, I mean, literally, you killed the pandemic. You had the best pandemic ever. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. I, I so appreciate that. And uh, it was very nice to meet you as well. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll see you guys at the House of Blues coming up. Can't wait to see the show. Totally. All right. I look we'll, forward to it. We'll see you later, Mariah. Nice to meet you. And, All right, you and congratulations on being another kick-ass Boston band. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> see you later. All right. Bye. There she is, Mariah from Plush. If you want more details on the band or to get tickets to see them opening up for Slash at the House of Blues in Boston on March 7th, check the links in the show notes of this podcast. You'll also find the link to the corresponding playlist. Every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast comes with a playlist that not only has the artist's music, but all the music that we talked about in this interview. 
You can find me online anytime at mistresscarry.com. Definitely check out the online Mistress Carrie store. And you can join me every Tuesday night live on my Facebook page at 8.30 Eastern for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe and follow the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep. All your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.